you have your Bibles, we're going to start in Galatians chapter 5, but we're really going to end up today in Mark chapter 12. If you are here last week, we're talking through the fruit of the Spirit. And we talked about how the fruit is only possible when we live by the Spirit. You see, the, the fruit of the Spirit that we see in Galatians chapter 5 is the fruit of a life that is lived in the Spirit. You don't just seek after this fruit and try to accomplish it, and then that's what makes you filled with the Spirit. Instead, when you are filled with the Spirit, when you walk by the Spirit, it is only then that you will be able to accomplish the fruit that is listed here. The Bible says in Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. He goes on to say in verse 22, but that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And what we learn from this passage is that when we walk with the Spirit, those things will automatically become true of our lives. But when we are not walking in the Spirit, when we're walking in the flesh, then the opposite is true, and we will reveal the fruit of the flesh in our lives. And the reality is that as we look at this, we're going to be evaluating our own lives based on the fruit of the Spirit, not so that we can have a checklist so that we can go and try to accomplish everything that we're supposed to accomplish, but we're going to hold it up as a mirror as a test to be able to look at ourselves and ask, are these things true of our lives? Because if they're not, we're not supposed to go and seek those things. We're not supposed to, as we look tonight at love, we're not supposed to go seek and try to love better because that's what's missing in our life or that's what we're not not holding up to. But it's a sign that we need to pull in deeper to the Lord and walk closer with the Spirit. And here's the thing, as we look at each, and, each of these nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, you're not going to always hit every mark. And in fact, I'd be surprised if every meet, any week if you felt like you totally hit the mark in one of these areas. The truth is, is that as Christians, we are seeking to become more like the Lord, but we are still human, and we still have our flesh that we are wrestling with. And so we're not going to always excel in every area that we see here. And as we look at this test, we're not always going to pass at 100%. But that's okay. That doesn't mean you're a bad Christian. That doesn't mean that you're a failure. It doesn't mean that there's no hope for you. But what it does mean is that this is an opportunity for us to evaluate our own lives and ask the question, am I walking with the Lord the way that I want to and the way that I think I am? Taking a test will sometimes help us to know what is true of our lives versus what we actually think. Because the fruit in our lives will reveal the root. The fruit of our lives, the results, our actions, what we experience as a result of our lives will reveal what is in our hearts, even if we don't totally understand it. We saw last week where the Bible says that the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can understand it? And so we do not even know our own hearts. So the fruit of the Spirit will act as a mirror for us to be able to examine our own hearts and examine our own lives. Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, Or make the tree bad, and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. What Jesus is implying there is that an apple doesn't make a tree an apple tree. An apple reveals that the tree is an apple tree. And in the same way for us, the fruit of the Spirit does not make you anything. It reveals what you are. And as you look at the fruit of your life, that shows you what is on the inside The fruit of your life will show you what is baking on the inside and what you are really made of. 
Even if you could become spirit-filled on your own by accomplishing the fruit of the Spirit, the truth is that you would never be able to accomplish the fruit of the Spirit. You do not have in you the ability to do what God has called us to do. We do not have in our own ability to live the life that God has called us to live. That is why he has given us his spirit, and he has given us the ability to walk in the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all these things that are mentioned in Galatians chapter 5. None of that is naturally in any of us. And as we walk and look at this, we're going to realize that it's only through the spirit that it is possible. I read a story a few years back that I thought would would be helpful as we illustrate this and try to understand that point. In 1930, and I'm going to butcher these names, in 1930 there was an artist named Elias Garcia Martinez. He lived in, in Spain and he was, uh, like I said, an artist and he wanted to do something for a church that was near and dear to him. There was a church named Mercy Church in Borja, Spain. And so he's an artist, he, he spent some time in some devotion, and as a result, he painted a picture of Jesus for the church, and he called it the Echa Homo, which means behold the man. So as you see, this is a picture of Jesus. He's got the crown of thorns on, and he is in the middle of his passion of his death and leading to his death. So he painted this for the church, and he, he had it painted, I believe, directly on the wall of the church, and it was put in there, and it was painted, and it was for the church. That was done in 1930. Well, over the course of the years, slowly after time, it wasn't preserved properly. Slowly, you'll see that the painting started to fade. It didn't look like it once did. And people just got used to it. It had been there. They'd seen it every day. They kept seeing it. People didn't even realize that it was starting to fade until it got to the point in 2012 when people realized this is worse off than we realized. There was a lady in the church named Cecilia Jimenez, who was 81 years old. She was an artist. And this painting had gone in about the time that she was born. So she grew up in this church and lived and saw this this painting all growing up and all throughout her life. And she was not going to stand for this painting to become totally destroyed like it was becoming. So as an artist, she decided that she was going to fix it. And so she, she came, she brought her paintbrush, and she spent about two weeks working to restore the painting. And as she tried it, she uh, had a lot of art background, but what she didn't have is a history in restoring art. So at the end of two weeks, this is what she had painted on the wall. <laughs> the funny thing is, is that she went on vacation after two weeks. She came back intending to finish it. She said, I wasn't done. She came back after two weeks and realized that this picture had gone viral around the world and people all over the world had seen what she had done to this painting. And they wouldn't let her go any further. And she said, you were here every day. You saw me doing this and I wasn't done. If only I hadn't gone on vacation, I could have fixed it. I don't know. I'm not an artist. I'm not guessing that she was on her way to fixing this painting. So why do I tell you this story? In your life, you are not the original artist. You are not the one that has designed the fruit of the Spirit and the Spirit-filled life. And so as we look and we find things in our life that just aren't quite lining up, when we look at the fruit of the Spirit and we determine that we're missing something in an area, we can't fix it. In fact, if you try to fix it, this is what your life is going to end up looking like because you do not have the skill and the ability that you need in order to make it look like the original. The only person that has that ability is the Father. 
And so when we look at the, the fruit of the Spirit, we need to lean into the source and the fruit will take care of itself. As we look at the fruit of the Spirit and we realize that there's something missing, we need to return to the author of the picture that is being painted in our lives. We need to return to the Father and the restoration will take care of itself. But when we try to fix it ourselves, horrible things happen. So between last week and this week, I've told you 20 times that the answer is to walk in the Spirit. But what does that actually mean? It's easy to say that we're going to walk in the Spirit, but what does that practically mean? How do you walk in the Spirit? Listen to what Jesus said in John 15, verses 1 through following. He said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Now remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the true branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Now, to me, that last statement of Jesus, you can do nothing without me, is actually one of the most offensive things that he said in Scripture. Because we might agree with that on, on, on face value, but you think, gosh, I can do something. You know, nothing? You're saying I can do nothing apart from you? But the reality is, he goes on to say in the rest of this, this chapter that anything we do apart from him is just going to be cut off and burned. It has no lasting value. That picture came to life to me a couple years ago. I had a, a tree in my backyard that was always dropping limbs, and so I, I realized that a lot of the limbs were dead up in the tree. So I had somebody, paid them way too much money to come cut down part of my tree. And then I was trying to save some money on the end of the project, so I said, hey, don't haul the stuff away. I'll get Bartlett to, to pick it up for me. Well, this was up there. They look like you know branches like a foot too long. When they come down to the ground, these things are like 15, 20 feet long. And so the, the, these branches sat on my curb for probably three, four, five weeks until Bartlett finally did pick it up. Thank you, Bartlett, for being awesome. But as we, as we saw those, those branches that were dead in the limb up in the tree sit there for four, five, six weeks, I realized, man, they weren't as dead as I realized because now they're really dead. You see, because as I saw all of the life draining from them and coming off of it, what looked like it was dead in the in the, in the tree, up while it was up in the tree, even though it was sick, it still had some life to it. It was still connected. It was still living, though barely. But once it was totally cut off from that tree, it had absolutely no chance of survival, and the entire thing went brown, and everything fell off of it. In the same way, as we look at this message and as we look through this entire semester, I'm going to give you now the answer to tonight and every other week. You have to still keep coming. But I'm going to go ahead and give you the answer to every week. The key to producing the fruit of the Spirit in our life is walking in the Spirit. But how do we do that? By abiding in Jesus, following Jesus, listening to his words, and obeying him. The thing is, we try to make this so complicated. We act like there's some hidden recipe, hidden secret that, that if only I could figure out what we're, I'm really supposed to do in order to become victorious in the Christian life and to experience the freedom that I have in Christ. But it's really not that difficult. Jesus said that we are to hear his word and to obey him. In fact, in John 14, 15, he said it very simply, if you love me, you will keep 
my commandments. He goes on to say, uh, Apostle John, who is one of Jesus' disciples, wrote in 1 John 2, 3 and following, this is how we know that we love him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, and yet doesn't keep his commands, he's a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him, very simple here, should walk just as he walked. So as you want to follow the Lord, what are you supposed to do? You do what Jesus did. You walk like Jesus walked. You listen to his words and you obey them. So as we hold up this mirror tonight of the fruit of the Spirit, the first one we're going to do is look at love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And as we hold up that mirror and examine what that even means, how do we know if we're loving, we're going to look at the words of Jesus himself and say what Jesus, listen to what Jesus said about love. And this is where we'll be in Mark 12, 28 and following. It says one of the scribes, one of the religious leaders approached Jesus, and when he heard him debating and saw that Jesus answered him well, he asked him this. Now, in the Luke account of this story, it doesn't say he asked him. He said he tested him in this way. So from the beginning, you know this guy probably doesn't have the greatest of all motives, but he's asking Jesus a question. He says, which commandment is the most important of them all? He's trying to According to Luke, he's trying to trip Jesus up, trying to make Jesus say something that he shouldn't say. He's testing Jesus to see, do you really know what you're talking about? Are you going to stick your foot in your mouth in this situation? What's the greatest commandment? We have this whole Old Testament, all the law, the Torah. What's the most important part of it all? Jesus, who is the author of the Old Testament, was not bothered at all by that question. And he said this. The most important is this. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. So as we look at what it means to love in terms of holding up that mirror for the fruit of the Spirit, the first thing we are to ask ourselves is, is this, do you love God? Loving God is the first aspect of love that we need to pay attention to. He says, listen, Israel, the Lord your God is one. The Lord is God. Love the Lord your God. See, our love for God is meant to be an all-consuming love. This is not just something that we do on Sundays and Wednesday nights. Your relationship with the Lord, your love for the Lord should affect and touch every single part of who you are as not just a Christian, as a person as a human being. There's nothing untouched by the Lord in your life when you give your life to the Lord. And the question is, do you love him with all that you have? Is it all consuming? Now, when Jesus identified the greatest command, he jumped to the Old Testament. He actually gave a quotation. So my Bible has it in bold here. Some of yours would have it in all, in all uh, uppercase letters to indicate that this is a quotation from the Old Testament. But Jesus was pointing directly back to the law, and not just any part of the law, but to probably the most famous part of the law. You see, this is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and following. If you ask any Jew, they would know this passage as the Shema. And the word Shema is Hebrew for hearing or for listen, and it comes directly from this. Listen, Israel. It's a word that is used in the original Hebrew, Shema, Israel. And so when he said those words, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, 
Every single Jew that was listening to him knew exactly where he was going. And not only did they know what he was about to say, but they understood the context in which that law was given. So let's look at Deuteronomy 6, 4 and following at the context of what Jesus is quoting directly here in the great commandment that he gives us. He says, listen, Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words I am giving you today are to be on your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk down the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. The point here is that our love for God is to be fully integrated into our lives. When you're talking to your children, talk to them about the Lord. When you're walking on the road, you have conversations about the Lord. When you lie down, you're thinking and meditating on the Lord. When you wake up in the morning, he's the first person you think about. When you are walking in your house, there should be scripture in your house. You need to keep it before you all the time so that you can meditate on it all the time. That is the type of love that God has called us to have towards himself, an all-consuming, ever-present love. Now, as we look at the words Jesus had, he gave four specific areas in which we are to love God. Now, I don't think these represent a comprehensive list. Once again, not a checklist of, am I loving God completely? Some of these overlap each other in the way that they're even presented. But let's look at these four aspects of the way that we are to love God. First, Jesus said we are to love God with all of our heart. When it comes to loving God, are you really in it? Is it just lip service for you? Or is your heart really in it? You know what I mean by that. You've seen people, whether it be at work or in a sport or in an activity that they're doing, you've seen, you know the difference between somebody that's just there to, to check the boxes and somebody that's really there because their heart is in it. You see, once somebody's heart is in it, it changes the way that they love. It changes the way that they behave. It changes the way that they live their lives. In the same way, it's very obvious to the Lord when we love him without any heart, when we're not really bought in, when we don't really believe it, when we don't really care. Some people love Jesus great in great ways with their minds and with their strength, but when it really comes down, it's just for show. At the end of the day, they don't really care. But listen to what God said in the Old Testament through the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 15, 22. Samuel said, does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention, to actually care is better than the fat of the rams. What God is saying there is that it doesn't matter if you go through the the, the the motions and you're just doing all these things and checking the box if you're not really in it, if your heart is not in it. Because God is looking not for just blind devotion. God is looking for heart, our heart. And he is looking for your true love. The Lord said this to Samuel, referencing the future king David in 1 Samuel 16, 7. They weren't picking him because of his stature was small. But he, the Lord said this, do not look at his appearance or his stature because I have rejected him. Talking about, sorry, about, talking about King Saul. Humans do not see what the Lord sees. See, Saul was tall, he was strong, he looked very brave, he looked very kingly. Humans do not see what the Lord sees. For humans look on the outside, see what is visible. But the Lord, he looks, he sees the heart. So the question is, do you love the Lord with your heart? 
I'm not asking if you're putting on a show. I'm not asking if you can make it look like you love the Lord, if you can go through the motions, come to church, because you can trick me. You could fool me. I could walk away today very impressed by your walk with the Lord, but you're not here to impress me. You're not here to make me think anything. When you stand before the Lord, do you love him with all of your heart? And none of us will be able to answer that 100% all the time. And so if you, if you say, you know, maybe I'm not in it the way I used to, maybe I've not sought him, maybe I've not been with him the way I used to, maybe the way I should, that doesn't mean that you're a bad Christian, that doesn't mean that you failed, it doesn't mean it's too late. What it means is that this is an opportunity, a call to come back to loving the Lord with all of your heart. So the second thing he says is to love the Lord with all of your soul. This speaks to something deeper of who we are as people. Now, there's some overlap here with the idea of heart and soul, but soul, I believe, takes it a little deeper than the heart even does. See, this speaks of a deep, intimate connection with the Lord, one that goes further than you can even put into words. Loving God with your soul speaks of an all-in love for the Lord. The word soul there is interesting. When you look at Genesis 2, chapter 7, this is when God is creating Adam, creating the very first man. And the Bible says that the Lord formed the man out of the dust from the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. And the man became a living being. Some of your translations there would say that the man became a living soul. See, what happened is God created man out of the dirt, out of the dust, but it was the breath of God that put the soul into the man. And that is the soul that we are to to love God with. It's something deeper than our, just our affection. It's something deeper than anything else. It speaks to the very breath that we breathe. It goes down to the inmost part of who we are. Do you love God with all of your soul? If you want to get an example of somebody that loved God with all their soul, a great place to look is at King David. When you see All through the Psalms, he's crying out to the Lord. He's pouring out his soul to the Lord in a way that we should all learn to do. Now, the interesting thing about King Saul or or King David is that he messed up big time in life. In fact, there are times, you know the story, he would commit adultery, he would commit murder. And then he would go to the Lord, he would pour, pour his soul out to the Lord. And in King David, we have an example of a man who loved the Lord intimately, who loved the Lord truly with his soul, but really messed up and at times would walk away from the Lord. And God called him a man after his own heart. So what that says is that there's hope for you and there's hope for me to love the Lord the way that we're called to do. Are you loving the Lord with all of your soul? There's a Baptist missionary to China named Hudson Taylor. He spent his life, dedicated his life to reaching the Chinese people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he once said this, Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. In your life, Jesus is either Lord over everything, all of who you are. If that's not where you are, then he's not really Lord of your life. Because you see, God does not share thrones. God is not willing to take a co-pilot seat. God is going to be in charge. He is going to be Lord of all or he's not really Lord at all in your life. So do we love the Lord with all of our soul? Third thing he says is to love the Lord with all your mind. Now this is one we don't talk about very much. Last week I told the story that when I was uh, in either middle school or high school, I don't remember what year it was, 
I had the opportunity to spend a little bit of time with Dr. Rogers in his office talking about what it means to be called to ministry and what that looks like. And I was excited to go into that conversation. I had my list of, you know, talking about preaching and talking about leading churches and talking about seminary, but he wouldn't go any of those places. He asked me questions like this. He said, how's your school going? How are your studies? I was like, well, I mean, it's school. I don't really love it. And, and, he, and he wouldn't accept that answer. He kept digging in and talking about the importance and the responsibility I had, especially as somebody that felt God calling me to ministry, to give my entire mind to the Lord and to love the Lord with my mind. You see, this is not as easy for us to, to look at intellectual pursuit as something that's not as spiritual. It's not as important as loving the Lord with our heart and our soul. But God created our minds the same way he made our hearts and our souls. And he intends for us to love him with them as well. I recently read a, a book. I've read it multiple times. read it a few months ago called Practicing the Presence of God. By, it's attributed to a man named Brother Lawrence. Now, Brother Lawrence is not his real name, and he didn't actually write the book but the words are his words. And this is a, a monk in the 1600s who dedicated his life to serving the Lord. And, and he had, I think, great aspirations for his life. But as he got into his place of service, he was assigned to work in the kitchen. And he spent most of his ministry cooking and serving. And towards the end of his life, he wasn't able to stand anymore. And so they reassigned him to become a sandal maker, a sandal repair person. And so throughout this whole time, he was faithful to the Lord even though he wasn't doing exactly what he thought he was going to be doing. He was faithful to the Lord and continued to seek after the Lord. And he became a confidant for many people. He became a spiritual advisor for many people. And people are still reading his words today. Some of the people he talked to and would, would invest in compiled his words and would write the book after his death. But in the book, he says this about knowing God. The more that we know God, the more we will desire to know him. And as love increases with knowledge, the more we know God, the more we will truly love him. We will learn to love him equally in times of distress or in times of great joy. See, to Brother Lawrence, the love for the Lord had a lot to do with his mind. He had to set his mind on the Lord and learn about the Lord and study and chase the Lord, and that would lead him to loving him deeper. Just this morning, I was reading, and my Bible reading came to Psalm 119. It's all about the Word of God. And I just pulled out a few verses from here that I read this morning that I highlighted that jumped off the page to me this morning. Psalm 119.11, I have treasured your Word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. What's he saying there? He's studying God's Word. He's meditating on it. He's memorizing it so that by dwelling and meditating on God's Word and thinking about God's Word, loving God with his mind would lead him to love God more. Psalm 119, verse 27, Lord, help me to understand the meaning of your precepts, the meaning of your laws, so that I can meditate on your wonders. Verse 32, I pursue the way of your commands, for you broaden my understanding. 33 and 34, teach me, Lord, the meaning of your statutes, and I will keep them always. Help me understand your instruction, and I will obey it, and I will follow it with all of my heart. 97, how I love your instruction. It is my meditation all day long. 147 and 148, I rise before dawn and I cry out for help. I put my hope in your word. I am awake through each watch of the night to meditate on your promise. You see, for David, a man who loved the Lord with all his heart and loved his soul, and God called a man after his own heart, was very intentional to love the Lord with his mind. And what that looked like was reading God's word, meditating on God's word, memorizing God's word, 
and treasuring it, knowing that the more he thought about God's word, the more he examined it, the more he thought about it, the more it would lead to loving the Lord. You can also love the Lord with your mind by reading materials about the Lord and about Scripture. It'll never compare to actually reading Scripture, but those extra resources by people who love the Lord can really help you as you love the Lord with your mind. The fact that you're here on a Wednesday night, you don't have to be here, tells me that you have an interest in loving the Lord with your mind and to grow in the Word and to learn more about who He is. But I want to encourage you not just to leave it here. Don't just hear the Word tonight and just let it sit in your mind. Talk about it. Think about it. If you came here with somebody tonight, talk on the way home about something that you learned, something that the Lord spoke to you, nothing that I said to you, but what did the Lord say to you tonight? Maybe you have somebody in another class somewhere in this building. As you go home, tell them what you learned, ask them what they learned. Learn from people who are studying God's word. And as you have those conversations, we're able to love the Lord with our mind. The last thing he says, we're to love the Lord with our strength. We're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, but also with our strength. In other words, if you really love God, your actions are going to show it. You see, if you say you love God and you you claim to, to follow him, but your actions don't show it, then I would question how deep that love actually goes. That's exactly what James, the brother of Jesus, said in James 2, 14 and following. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, but does not have works. Can such a faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to, says to him, go in peace, stay warm, be well fed, but you don't give him what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, it does, if it does not have works, faith is dead by itself. If you love the Lord, if you love God with all your being, it will show in your actions. Now, God doesn't need you. God doesn't need your, your service. God doesn't need your strength. His arm is plenty, hand, plenty strong to handle anything he needs to take care of. You know, the Bible says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And Dr. Rogers said he owns the hill also. And he owns the oil under the hill. God doesn't need anything from any one of us. But he does give us the opportunity to serve him. And that's the difference. Are you looking, is your love for God overflowing into a gratitude and an ability and a love for serving the Lord? We're not doing God a favor by serving him, but it is a way for us to demonstrate our love. You see, a love that never demonstrates itself is not a very deep love. The Bible says that about Jesus and God himself is that John three sixteen for God so loved the world. He loved the world in this way. He gave. God's love led him to giving his son, Jesus Christ, for us. Romans 5.8 goes on to say that God proves, he demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loved us so much that he demonstrated his love for us. And when we love God, it will naturally play out in a demonstration of our love for him. We are to love the Lord with our strength. So when asked what the greatest commandment was, Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. But then he gave them a bonus. He asked, was asked for the greatest commandment. He gave it, and then he said this. The second is just like it. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the second thing we see, and we'll go quickly through this, is that we are to love people. As we look at how we're supposed to love in our lives, we're supposed to first love God, but Jesus says right there next to it, right beside it, 
is that we must learn to love people. He says, there is no greater commandment than any of these. Just like the first commandment, this one is a direct quotation from the Old Testament as well. The Bible says in Leviticus 19, 17, and 18, do not harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke your neighbor directly, and you will not incur guilt because of him. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The next time you get to Leviticus in your Bible reading, remember that Jesus said the second greatest commandment came from Leviticus. It's hard for us to read Leviticus sometimes, but there's also a lot of great truth in that book. Just like the first command, this is a direct quotation from the Old Testament. And Jesus said it is so important that when you talk about the first commandment, you've got to talk about this one too. You can't do one without doing the other. Now, the interesting thing is that Jesus would say that all of the Old Testament laws, all the laws of the Old Testament were summarized in those two things, loving God and loving people. If you hear that, you might recognize that from Bellevue's mission statement, love God, love people, share Jesus, and make disciples. Those first two aspects, this is exactly, this passage is where we got those from. And as we look at it, you also see that even in the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments are summed up under two things, loving God, the first four commandments, and loving people, the last six commandments. All of the law, all of the Old Testament can be fulfilled if we were to perfectly love God and love other people. So as Jesus tells people to, tells them they have to love their neighbor as himself, the Luke account says the person in Luke 10, 29, wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, now, who is my neighbor? Now, I'll go ahead and clarify that question for you. This man had absolutely no interest in knowing who his neighbor is. He was trying to figure out all the people that were not his neighbor so that he wouldn't have to love them. Jesus, you know the story of the Good Samaritan. That's where this story would come in. And Jesus says, who is the neighbor to this man? And they said, well, it's the one that actually helped him, not the one that lived near him, not the one that lived directly next door to him. And Jesus said, so that is what you're supposed to do. You are to be a neighbor to everybody. Jesus would answer that everyone is your neighbor. And for the sake of this conversation, I'm going to very quickly categorize two types of people in this world. The Bible gives us that there's, you know, every time you look around, you say there's four types of people, there's six types of people, there's four, whatever it is. The Bible really only gives two types of people in this world. And Jesus says that we're to love both of them. The first is this, those who are saved. Do you love the church? Do you love the people in this room? Do you love the people of Bellevue Baptist Church? Do you love the people of the Methodist Church or the Presbyterian Church down the street? Do you love the church? Because the Bible says very specifically in John 13, 34 and 35, the night before Jesus died, one of the last, some of the last words Jesus spoke before his death, he said, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. A poem was written many years ago. It's attributed, uh, we don't know who it's attributed to. It's an unknown author. But it says the story that most people, most Christians live today. It says, to live above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with saints we know, now that's a different story. And that's the life we live so often. We, we are so excited for heaven and going to be with the Lord and to be with his church, his people forever. But we just can't stand the people in the church while they're here right now. That's not how it ought to be. 
Jesus said that we are to be known not by our theology, not by how smart we are, not by our church attendance, not by anything else, not by putting a cross in our, in our yard at Easter time. Those are all great things. But we are to be known by our love for one another as Christians. So we're to love the, the saved, and you probably guessed the last point here. We're also to love the lost. And there's not a person on this world, that earth, that does not fit within one of those two categories. Jesus said, and the Bible says of Jesus in Luke 19, 41 through following, that as he approached the city of Jerusalem, he wept for it. Jesus was crying when he looked at the city. He said this, if you knew this day what would actually bring you peace, but it's now hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone or another in your midst, because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. Jesus had a burden and a love for the people who were lost of Jerusalem. The question is, do you have a love and a burden for the people of Memphis? If Jesus was living his earthly ministry in Memphis, Tennessee right now, he would weep over our city because of the lostness and because of the fact that they did not realize that God had come. God had visited them and that he was calling out to them. They were blind, and that broke Jesus' heart. If we're going to love, if we're going to show the fruit of the Spirit, if we're going to know, are we really showing the fruit of the Spirit the way that we're supposed to love? The question is, do you love lost people? Do you have a burden for lost people? Do you love lost people the way Jesus loves lost people? And if you don't, and for most of us, it probably is not nearly as much as we ought to. We're probably not weeping over our city in that way very often. I know I'm not. But as we look at that, what that tells me is that I need to grow closer to the Lord. It doesn't say I'm a bad Christian. It doesn't say I'm a failure. But it does say that I need to go deeper and be abiding in the Lord and walking by his spirit. And the more I do that, the more I'm able to love the way God called us to love. The fruit of the spirit is love. And as you look in the mirror tonight, is there something that the Lord pointed out to you? There's a lot that we looked at. I know that. Is there something that the Lord point to you? Do you say, maybe I don't love the Lord with my mind the way I ought to or with my strength? Maybe I don't love the people of the church the way I should. Maybe I don't love the lost the way I should. If there is something that the Lord has pointed out to you, I want to encourage you to abide with Jesus. Don't just go home and say, all right, I've got to learn how to love people in my life group a little bit more. I'm just going to have to figure this out. I'm going to have to grip my teeth and just get through it. No, go home and abide with Jesus. Spend time with him. The more you spend time with him, the more you'll be like him. You guys ever see people who've been married 50, 60, 70 years and they start looking alike and, and you wonder like, wait, are you siblings or are you married? Because you look exactly the same. That's how it is when we walk with the Lord. The more you walk with Jesus, the more you're going to start looking like Jesus. Do you feel like you're missing it in the area of love? Then here's your homework. Spend time with Jesus. Get to know him better. Listen to his words and then do the radical thing of obeying his word. And here's the beautiful thing about this is that God has clearly given us his word. He has not hidden his will from us. He has given us a whole lot more of his word than we're really willing to read on most days. And so the question is, are we willing to spend time with the Lord? Are we willing to spend time with Jesus? And we ought to do it because he loves us. We sang the songs at the beginning the oh, how he loves you and me. 
He gave his life. What more could he give? Oh, how he loves you and me. And why would you not want to spend time with him? Why would you not want to spend time with somebody that loves you that much? I want to tell you this. His will has been clearly laid out in the scriptures. And as you abide with Jesus, as you spend time with him, I can guarantee you that it won't always happen overnight, but you will start to bear more fruit. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you gave so clearly these, this great commandment to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. I pray, Lord, that we would not be overwhelmed by that command, Lord, that we would not be overwhelmed by what you have laid out for us, but that we would instead focus in on you and that you would bear the fruit in our lives that we need to bear. We, apart from you, Lord, we admit, we confess, we can do nothing. So, Lord, I pray that as we abide in you, as we lean in towards you, that you would bear the fruit of love in our lives, that we would love you more with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, that we would love people the way that you love people, and that we would walk away from your word each day transformed and bearing more fruit. And, Lord, you would show us in our life where we, where we need to spend more time with you and, and the commands and the and the things that you said that maybe we've ignored, that maybe the things that you've told us to do that we're just not doing. I pray that we would walk, like John said, we would walk as you walked. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.